If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but if not love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains but have not love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. Does not envy. Does not boast. Is not proud. Is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. Heavenly Father, we just humbly come before you. There is no one like you. No one compares to you. Father, you love us so much that uh, you sent your son. And Jesus, you love us so much that you put on flesh and came near 2,000 years ago as a tiny baby. And God, I just ask that each of us would breathe. Breathe out all the cares and concerns of this world, all the worries all the shopping that hasn't been done yet, (laughs) the things that still need to be put together (laughs) that may never get put together right, um, so we can breathe in you. God, help us each to take advantage of this moment um, because your word is powerful. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so this is our final message in our series, Love Is. And listen, though this series that began on October the 13th is coming to an end, our our pursuit of living out God's kind of love, it it, it must continue and it, it must continue wholeheartedly because according to the Word of God, the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. According to God's Word, without love, what we say, what we do, what we give, what we accomplish, and even our own faith does not matter. Because according to God's word, love is the greatest commandment. In fact, all the law and all the prophets hang on these two commandments, to love God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. Because love is the only debt that must remain outstanding among us. Because according to God's word, love covers a multitude of sins. Because love is the only way the world will ever know that we who gather in this room actually are followers of Jesus Christ. This pursuit must continue wholeheartedly because nothing is more needed and nothing is more powerful than love. Amen? Amen. And listen, love is not a noun. Love is a verb, which means what ultimately matters is not simply knowing what love is, but doing what love does. And and, and that's why I've intentionally made this series very practical. I mean, every week we've been giving specific action steps designed to both help and ensure that we are living out God's kind of love. Question. During the last nine weeks, have you made any effort to actually do what love does. 
a lot, like what grade, right? It's midterms, right? For those who have kids in school, it's midterm. Kids are freaking out, right? Like, what grade would you give yourself, you know, for how you have tried to live out God's kind of love? And, and what grade would the one who knows all and sees all, what grade would he give you? You see, we must heed the warning given by Jesus' half-brother. Do not merely listen to the word. And so deceive who? Deceive yourselves. Do what it says. And that word for listen, it carries the idea of, you know, auditing it, to audit something, right? To audit a class, right? You know, that's a lot more fun than taking a class, right? It's like, ah, oh, I'm not taking that paper. Midterms, what's a, what's a midterm? Uh, but, but in case you're wondering, as Jesus followers, we do not have permission to simply audit God's word. Uh, we're to do what his word says. And, and, and here's the truth. There, there's nothing, nothing in your life that is more important than you striving to live out God's kind of love. Get it? Good. I hope we do. You may, you may even want to go back and listen to some of the previous messages, right? Because there's a lot of stuff. I know I need to do that, right? Remind myself, hey, what are these steps to being kind and being respectful so that we can actually do these things? Now, this morning, we're going to wrap up. We're going to be looking at several facets of God's kind of love in a conversation I'm calling, and I, I think I can patent this, uh, uh, this title, copyright it. No one's ever probably used it before, love does not, but does, all things, never is not, right? I mean, I've never preached a sermon called that before, but that's what we're doing today. And, and uh, you know, I, I would ask you to, to lean in, to open up your hearts and minds and buckle up. We've got a lot of ground to cover. Um, but before we dive in and begin unpacking God's truth, I, I just want to ask you, do you believe that God could actually have a specific word for you today? December 15th, 2019. I can tell you he does. And the key is what? Will you and I, will we have ears to hear? Uh, will we have eyes to see? Will we have a heart that's open to those truths? First point of your notes is love does not but does. Love does not delight in evil but rejoices with the truth. And, and I'm sure all of us have heard those 11 words before. I mean, they, they've been part of this painting that, uh, of Paul's in 1 Corinthians of what God's love looks like for 2,000 years, but what do these words really mean? And, and like, how, how do we actually live them out? And to be honest, I, I have never thought that deeply about these 11 words before. I mean, they've been there kind of in the background, off to the side, because right in the middle of this portrait is love is patient, love is kind, right? They have a more prominent position, so I never gave it much thought until this week. And I have spent literally hours (laughs) thinking about and studying these 11 words and, and how we can live them out, right? So let's start by defining a few words. Now, another uh, the words delight, love does not delight in evil, and rejoice, love rejoices in the truth. They both come from the same Greek word. It's the Greek word kairo, 
which means to rejoice, to be glad, to be joyful. You know, and, and it's, and the kind of rejoicing and delighting it's talking about is not a calm, polite rejoicing. You kind of smile, nod your head, your pulse may get a little quicker. No, this is a full throttle, pedal to the metal, heart racing, not holding anything back kind of rejoicing. And so when you think of the kind of rejoicing that this verse is talking about, uh, think about your favorite soccer, hockey, baseball, football, basketball team scoring the, the winning goal, run, touchdown, or basket as time is running out. Uh, think of the joy and excitement of a guy and a gal when he proposes and she says yes. Uh, think of the feelings that students have when they graduate and they throw their caps up in the air. Uh, think, of the, think of the joy and thankfulness uh, a mom and a dad have as their new son and daughter is born. Uh, think of uh, the excitement that you get when you get that letter that says you've been accepted into that college or the excitement your mom and dad have, they, you got that scholarship you were looking for or the excitement when you finally got that promotion or job you've been longing for. Think about the excitement you would have if you found your lost sheep or you found your lost coin, the same word used in Luke 15. Uh, think of the rejoicing of the Ethiopian eunuch when he comes out of the water of being baptized and goes back rejoicing in Acts chapter 8. That's the kind of rejoicing it's talking about in 1 Corinthians 13 verse 6. It's a it's a rejoicing that's filled with excitement and joy and thankfulness. It's a, it's a rejoicing that's a cause for celebration that, and that's often accompanied by enthusiasm, applause, and cheering. Yeah, Cairo is a serious, I'm not playing kind of rejoicing. Get it? Good. But, but notice what the love of 1 Corinthians 13, which again is God's kind of love, does not rejoice in. It does not delight or rejoice. It does not applaud or cheer on evil. And the word used there for evil is adakia, which means injustice or unrighteousness of the heart or mind, wickedness and wrongdoing. You see, love does not delight. It does not applaud. It does not cheer on injustice. It does not cheer on wrongdoing. It does not cheer on unrighteousness of the heart and mind. It does not cheer on evil, but rejoices with the truth. And, and to rejoice in evil is not only to, to justify evil, but to make what's wrong seem right. And that's exactly what Isaiah is calling out God's people for in Isaiah chapter 5, he says this, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who substitute darkness for light and light for darkness, who substitute bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil. My goodness, is he talking about our country? I mean, can you think... <laughs> Of any examples where our society has called something evil good, something evil right. It happens about one, pops in my mind all the time, it happens about one million times every year in our country when an innocent baby's life is lost inside the womb. People call that good. That's not good. That's not right. 
That is wrong. And that is not a political issue. I don't talk politics up here. That's a moral issue. Amen? Amen. That's a baby. Now, now this week, I, I spent a lot of time. Like, what does it look like to, to live out love does not applaud and cheer on evil? And, and again, Paul's primary concern here is talking about human relationships, right? Right? Because they weren't working so good in Corinth, right? There, there were some definite relational problems. That's why he had a right of this beautiful portrait to begin with. And so I, I want to talk about three ways that you and I can live out love does not delight, cheer, applaud, evil, wrongdoing, and injustice. And number one, love does not delight in doing and participating in evil. Love does not delight, does not applaud, does not cheer on doing and participating in evil itself. A few scriptures. Psalm 1. is all God's word. A blessed, blessed is the one who does not walk in the steps of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on this law day and night. That person... Is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and his leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Psalm 97.10. You who love the Lord, anybody love the Lord in here? You who love the Lord hate evil. Some hate's okay. Proverbs 18.13, to fear the Lord is to hate evil. Again, love does not delight in doing and participating in evil. Now, who were the first people to, to read this letter, to, to see this portrait of love in 1 Corinthians 13? Well, it was the people attending the church in Corinth. And listen, Corinth was a, was a very wicked city. It was filled with idol worship. Sexual immorality was out of control. In fact, Corinth had a reputation for being, it was kind of like the Las Vegas of the Roman Empire. Hey, whatever happens in Corinth... You know, stays in Corinth. Matter of fact, in Acts 18, when Paul makes his missionary journey there, he's so freaked out, he doesn't even want to leave his hotel room until God shows him up and says, hey, don't be afraid, keep on speaking, you're not alone in this wicked city. And, and, and when you read through the letter of 1 Corinthians, it's obvious that some of these brand new converts, right, let's give them a break, right, they grew up in sin and sinful culture, and now they're, they're brand new babies in Christ, but they were... They were having a hard time shaking off some of the old ways. And, and, and Paul addresses that all throughout his 16 chapters, right, of this letter. Talking about sins such as sexual morality, drunkenness, gluttony, greed, pride, injustice, jealousy, strife, gossip, division, prostitution, and prejudice, to name a few. And, and then in chapter 6, he just comes right out with a really hard in-your-face truth talking to believers who thought, hey, you know, it's okay to be a Christian and, and still do the things that I used to do, still applaud and cheer on wrongdoing. And Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 6, don't you know that the unrighteous will not inherit God's kingdom? Do not be deceived. No sexually immoral people, idolaters, Adulterers or anyone practicing homosexuality, no thieves, greedy people, drunkards, verbally abusive people, or swindlers will inherit God's kingdom. 
Some of you used to be like this, but you're washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our Lord. Love does not delight in doing and participating in evil. And Paul wants to make that clear to them. You know, he would not have written that if that was not a problem they were having, right? That's why he wrote it. Hey, guys, you can't be like that anymore. Next, love does not delight when others do evil. Love does not applaud and cheer on, celebrate, approve, accept, and tolerate when other believers do evil and commit sin. Now, would anybody really do that? Applaud sin? Well, the Corinthians did. (laughs) There was actually a, there was a guy in the Corinthian church that was committing a sin, and Paul calls him out, not by name, but he calls him out, and I know I have no doubt that everybody knew exactly who Paul was talking about. Paul says it's actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you of a kind that even pagans do not tolerate. A man is sleeping with his father's wife, probably his stepmom, or he would have brought up incest. And he says, and you're what? You're proud. Aren't we just an enlightening church? Aren't we trendy, hip cool and super fly here, right? Aren't we just, aren't we trendy? He goes on, shouldn't you rather have gone in the morning and put out a fellowship, the man who has been doing this? See, when a, when a fellow Christian is not living right, is doing wrong, there's a lot more wrong than sexual sin, right? We should mourn. I mean, we should cry out like the psalmist in Psalm 119. Streams of tears flow from my eyes, for your law is not obeyed. See, we should mourn because unrepented sin separates people from God. And then Paul goes on, a few verses down, verse 6, he says, you're boasting about this, it's, not, it's terrible. Don't you realize that the sin is like a little yeast that spreads throughout the whole batch of dough? To what Paul's saying, you know, if you let this go on, pretty soon everybody's going to accept it and what was once seen as wrong is going to become commonplace. And again, he's not talking about the world. He dealt with that earlier, right? Like we said, hey, when I told you not to associate with sexual immoral people, I was not talking about people in the world. No, you're supposed to love and witness to them. I was talking about people Inside the church, Paul said, look, man, you, if you tolerate it, it's going to grow. And everybody, hey, it's normal. Everybody's doing it. It's not a, a big deal. And I'm sure you can think of some sins more tolerated that really are a big deal. Sins of the tongue, etc. Love does not delight when others do evil, and it does not delight when evil or injustice happens to other people. I mean, have you ever felt when, maybe I'm the only messed up person, I know I'm one of them. Have you ever felt when something bad happened to someone, and maybe it's someone who hurt you, or who hurt someone you care about, and you're like, well, they finally got what they deserve, right? Yeah, they got what they deserve. Saw that one coming. Understand, rejoicing in anyone, even in our enemies, the one who've hurt us and hurt us deeply, rejoicing in their hardships and difficulty is so contrary. Are you listening, Steve Malone, (laughs) to the love of God? Because love does not rejoice in evil, 
Let me try to wrap this up, this point up, not the sermon. Don't get too excited. Um, when Paul says that love does not delight in evil, it means that love takes no pleasure in unrighteousness, in injustice, in any wickedness or wrongdoing whatsoever. And love never rejoices when, when people are mistreated, when evil wins out, when God is dishonored, or when his word is disobeyed. And love does not delight when evil hardships or injustice fall upon another person. Love is never glad about another person's misfortune. Love never gossips about another person's problem. Did you hear what happened to Billy? I hope there's no Billy out here. Did you hear about the Billy? Well, here, here's what really happened. Well, what I heard, this is why their marriage broke up. Love doesn't do that. Love doesn't participate in that. It, doesn't believe, it rejoices in truth. Rejoices in what is right and good. Therefore, anything that covers up sin or seeks to justify wrongdoing is the polar opposite of godly love. You see, love does not sweep things under the rug. Love does not try to find a way to get away with bad behavior, and it does not put up with injustice. Instead, it treasures truth, it celebrates good behavior, and it promotes right living. Bottom line, love loves truth. Love loves truth. Love affirms, love cheers, love applauds, celebrates truth. Because truth is good. Truth is pleasing. Truth pleases God. Which is why God loves when truth wins out in somebody's life. Right? Just loves it. We read in Luke 15. There is rejoicing, same word, in the presence of angels of God over one sinner who repents. Right? Love, lo- love loves when truth wins out. Love loves when someone who, who once was applauding evil in their lives has turned from that evil life and embraces truth. Love loves truth. And love, and this may be uncomfortable for some people, love when necessary will confront someone with the truth. You see, as Christians, we're to love truth, rejoice in it and applaud it, promote it at all costs. And therefore, when called upon... Uh, we will speak the truth, even tough truth, in love. Paul writes in Ephesians 4.15, he says, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who's head of his body, the church. You, you see, the scriptures leave no room for watered-down Christian love that accepts, believes, affirms anything without regard to biblical truth. You see, God's kind of love does not divorce itself from tough moral choices or tough moral conversations. And let's be honest, we're not always so good at those tough conversations, right? Those truth conversations Speaking the truth and love to somebody who has gotten off track. Really, there's only three options when God calls us to do this, right? When God calls us, Holy Spirit prompts us to have this tough moral conversation, we can either avoid it, and that doesn't really help. Uh, we can either have it, but do it 
poorly and, and everything just blows up, or, or we can actually have it and handle it well. How do we do that? Well, recently I, I just started reading a book. Uh, it's rec- recommended to me by my son. He has all his team members read it. I'm reading it right now. This is a stinking good book already. <laughs> it's called Crucial Conversations. Um, it, here's a quote from the preface. I actually read prefaces in books, by the way. Um, uh, the root cause of many, if not most, human problems lie in how people behave when others disagree with them about high stakes emotional issues, right? Right? Where it, the stakes are high. If you're talking about someone not living right with God, you're talking about high stakes that uh, they may not agree with you, right? They have this little diagram they throw in the book, right? You have opposing opinions. They think, hey, I'm doing this, and I think it's right. I think it's okay. And you're like, well, I really isn't. The stakes are high, and, and, the, and the emotions are running high. And, and this book, uh, again, I'm only like four chapters into it. I, I really think this book could I mean, these guys have been studying this for 20 years, companies and businesses, and found out the key to success in companies and relationships is the ability to have crucial conversations the right way. And again, I could not recommend that book enough, especially if you have one of those conversations coming up, right? And you will have in the future. We need to speak the truth in love and speak truth in a way that is helpful, not hurtful, right? Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with truth. Next, that love... All things. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things. Love endures all things. Love bears all things. The word that Paul used here is related to the Greek word, where we get our Greek word, roof. Does anybody appreciate that their home has a roof, right? Like, I do, especially like the rain we had, like it would be terrible for my home not to have a roof, right? You know, I, I don't, I'm not a construction guy, but I get it, right? Like a roof protects what's inside, right? From the elements outside that could destroy what's inside, right? If you've ever had a water leak in a roof, that's not a good thing, right? That, that's what that word means. And it and, and just See, love is to cover, right? Love protects the ones they love just like a roof protects a home. It watches over others. It withstands difficulties. If there's a shortcoming or fault, love has the ability to cover it. Proverbs 10, 12, hatred stirs up conflict, but love covers all wrongs. You see, one of the marks of love is that it always seeks to protect those it loves. And it doesn't mean that we excuse wrongdoing or seek to evade the natural consequences of sin. But what it does mean is that we, we strengthen what is weak, we shield what is vulnerable, and we forgive what is confessed. Love, love bears, love covers, love protects all things. And he says love Love believes all things. Believes all things. It, in other words, love is not suspicious of the one it loves. Love is slow to believe damaging um, news concerning the one they love. It, 
Love is always ready to give the benefit of the doubt. St. Augustine said this quality of love means that love always seeks to see the best in other people. But listen, we, we don't understand that Paul, what Paul is saying in this. It, and he's not saying that love is, that love is uh, gullible, that love is naive, that, that love believes everything and does not exercise qualities of wisdom and discernment. Instead, what he's saying is, hey, love chooses to believe the best in the person until there's evidence produced that says otherwise. In other words, love believes that a person is innocent before proven guilty, not, not guilty and have to be proven innocent. And if there's a problem, love doesn't immediately jump to judging, condemning, and discounting that person because love believes all things. And when we believe in a person, we unleash incredible power. Uh, Robert Schuller said this, I'm not who I think I am. I'm not who you think I am. I am who I think you think I am. I'm going to have to do that again, right? I, I'm not who I think I am. I'm not who you think I am. I am who I think you think I am. See, like it or not, right or wrong, a lot of times we... We, we define ourselves through the eyes of other people. I mean, tell me enough time that I'm stupid. After a while, I'm going to feel that I'm stupid. Tell me enough times that I'm not good enough and I'll never amount to anything, and pretty soon that may become the future written for me. I like what Johann Wolfgang Goethe said. This is good. He, he says this, Treat a man as he appears to be and you make him worse. But treat a man as if he were what he potentially could be, and you make him what he should be. There's power in believing in a person. Uh, there, there was a study done by uh, Robert Rosenthal, a professor of psychology at the University of California. And here, basically what they did was they, they pretended they tested these elementary students, and they went back to their teachers and said, hey, we tested these students, and we, these five or six tested as exceptional students. What they didn't tell their teachers was they didn't test anybody <laughs> and that all the students were exactly the same. However, these teachers thought that these six students were exceptional. Guess how they treated them? As exceptional students. And guess what? By the end of the year, those who were treated smarted, smarter actually were. Their grades were higher. Um, they scored higher on an IQ test. And the teachers described these students as happier, more curious, more affectionate, and have a better chance at success later in life. And all this traced back to the attitude that these teachers had to their students. These students were treated as exceptional, and they lived up to that treatment. Treat a man as he appears and make him worse, but treat a man as if he were what he could potentially be, and you make him what he should be. Imagine. Uh, imagine what would happen if in our church family and if in our individual families we chose to believe all things in regards to each other. Uh, we chose to believe the best about and the best for them. Uh, we chose to believe that they are good and awesome and capable. We chose to believe that in Christ they really are a new creation and, and, and that they really are more than conquerors. What do you think would happen 
Next love hopes all things. Hopes all things. This means that we never consider another person to be a lost cause. It means that we never give up on each other. Even when some fall and fall hard. See, see hope in all things and is this passion and willingness to encourage one another as if we're runners in the same race. It's this determination that no one will be left behind. It's to understand and have a growing confidence that we are all works in progress and we are all becoming more and more like Jesus. Even if some days it's pretty hard to see it. The hope in all things is to have this supernatural optimism. One that is always positive and hopeful, believing in what is good for the future of other people, even when they have ceased to have hope themselves. She loved the lights to entertain the best expectations. If conditions are tough, love still hopes. If hope, if life meets repeated disappointments, love still hopes. Then he says, love endures all things. It's, it's, that, it's that Greek word, Hupomeno, which literally means a compound word, to, to remain under, to, yeah, to endure. In, in secular Greek, um, this word was used as a military term, used of an army holding a position at all cost. Every hardship and every suffering had to be endured in order to hold fast. They remain under heavy attack. And when applied to God's kind of love, Paul's saying that that love, that the supernatural love is able to sustain the attacks of the enemy. It's a love that doesn't quit. It's a love that doesn't give up. It's a love that lasts. It's a love that remains under. It's a love that a husband and wife make in their vows on their wedding day, right? A vow to remain under. To hold the ground at all costs, Right? For better or for worse, <laughs> in sickness and in health, for richer or for poor, right? Uh, until we are separated by death. And, and see, this pledge is, is made on the fact that love endures all things. It's, it's not an on-again, off-again proposition, but a commitment to always seek the higher good, no matter what adversity comes our way. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, love endures all things. And by the way, that's how God loves you. <laughs> God's love for you, it bears all things. God covers you. God protects you, both now and forevermore. God's love for you, it believes all things. I want to tell you right now, you may not believe in you, but God believes in you. God believes and knows that in him you are a new creation. God believes and knows that you are his masterpiece, his, his work of art. God believes in you, and, and, and God hopes all things. See, God knows that in him, the best for you is yet to come. Amen? The best is yet to come. We have the hope far beyond the hope of this life, and God's love for you endures all things. Endures your stupidity, right? It endures your stupid choices. It endures your broken promises, right? It endures your not even thinking about him, right? His love for you endures all things. Nothing can stop it. 
cross couldn't stop it, could it? God's love for you does that. And at this point in Paul's portrait, I kind of I kind of picture him looking at it and thinking, man, this is looking good. Yeah, I'm liking it. This looks good. And he's about to put his paintbrush down. And then he's like, wait a second, something is missing. There's, there's one more thing I need to put on the canvas. There's one more final brush stroke. And then Paul takes a brush and he just puts out, love never fails. Love never fails fails. I like the word used there for never. It literally means not even at any time. Love not even at any time fails. The word there for fail means to fall or collapse as nations, walls, and houses built on sand. It means to wither and decay as a flower falling to the ground disconnected. It means to pass away when suddenly stricken by death. Paul says that God's love will never, not even at any time, fall to the ground, collapse, wither, and decay. God's love never at any time fails. Governments will fail, but God's love never fails. Crowns are temporary, but God's love is eternal. Your money will run out, but God's love never runs out. Love never fails. I want to say just two things super quickly. Because that's got to be true, right? Love never fails. And I wrestle, how can this be true, right? Because like sometimes my love fails. <laughs> I lied to fall short, so how is this true? I said, okay, well, it's true in one way that God's love never fails, right? You know, not ever, not at one time does God's love ever fail, right? It never fails, you see, you and I do not have a thermostatic impact on God's love. God's love does not change like the shifting seasons. It's, it's the same yesterday, today, and forever because God's love is from within himself, not from what he finds in us. I mean, does God love us? Does God love you because of your goodness, because of your kindness because of your faithfulness. No, he loves you because of his goodness, his kindness, and his great faithfulness. This is love, not that we love God, but that God loved us. Does this thought comfort you that the abundance of your love does not increase his, the lack of your love does not diminish his, and that your goodness does not make his love deeper, and your sin and failure does not make it weaker. God loves you simply because he chose to love you. He loves you when you don't feel lovely. He loves you when no one else loves you. Others may abandon you, ignore you, but God will love you always, no matter what. He says in his word, I have loved you, my people, with an everlasting love, with unfailing love, I have drawn you to myself. You know what? Some of you are thirsty for that kind of love. Those who should have loved you didn't. Those who could have loved you never really did. And sometimes you're left with the question, does anybody really love me? Brothers and sisters, please hear heaven's answer. 
God loves you personally, powerfully, and passionately. Others have promised and failed, but God has promised and succeeded. His love for you is unfailing, everlasting, unquenchable, unstoppable, and unconditional. You simply have to accept it, believe it, embrace it, and celebrate it. And let it both define and motivate you. God's love for you never fails. And listen, if you immerse yourself in that kind of love, it's going to change you. You see, you can't immerse yourself in God's love without being changed. Have you ever found it hard to love, right? I think sometimes loving, if you think like water, and I got this sponge here, and sometimes I can squeeze myself and I ain't got a drop of love coming out, right? It's just, the harder I squeeze, just nothing's coming out, right? But to see, the key is, I got, I got to first immerse myself in God's love. And then it just kind of drips out, right? I always love doing that. Give me water, right? But there's a point here, right? There's a real point. You, it's impossible. This sponge is like, you know what? No one could ever love me. I could never love anybody. Ain't no water ever coming out of me or in me. <laughs> I'm sorry, Mr. Sponge. You ain't got no choice, brother, right? And I'll tell you what, if you immerse yourself in God's love, you got no other choice. It's going to fill you. It's going to fill you up, right? And, and, and it's going to flow out of you. Right? So God's love never fails. And, and guess what? This is a crazy thing. Your love never fails. You're like, not buying it. <laughs> I buy God's love, not my love. And, and, and I, I really wrestle with this, okay? It's got to be true, right? Because Paul said it. And Paul didn't say God's love never fails. He says love never fails. And then I say, well, let me look at love in the context of love is patient, love is kind, and all that. And if I love that way, right, then it's, it's never going to fail, right? It's never going to fail. Um, um, even if I don't love that way, that doesn't mean love failed, right? Because love never fails. God's kind of love never fails. And, 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 and when I love that way, even if people don't respond the way I want them to, See, love never fails to change me, right? Whenever you strive to live out God's love, it's going to change you, right? Because love, it never fails. God's kind of love never fails to change us. It never fails in its purpose to show the world that we really are his disciples. There's one final point, and when I say it's quick, it's so quick, you'll be so excited. Um, love does not but does all things never and love is not love is not self-seeking actually save this for last and it's fast but here's the deal unless you get over yourself unless I get over myself unless we get over ourselves, all this loving like God stuff will never even get off the ground it is impossible for a self-seeking person to live out love is patient because it's all about you. Love is kind. What are they doing for me? Love's not an easy anger, but they really tick me off. Love keeps no record of wrongs, but man, they really hurt me, right? It's impossible. And so I want to just tell you, get over yourself. Get over yourself. Tell your, no, no, can't do that. <laughs> get over yourself. And we got to see what happens. And, 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 and here, here we're going to, 
We're going we're gonna to end as the praise team comes up. Um, you know, Jesus concluded uh, his longest and most powerful, huge sermon on Sermon on the Mount, right, by talking about how, how the wise man built his house on, a, on the rock, on a solid foundation, right? And, and I want to tell you, I, I stand and proclaim to you based on the authority of the Word of God that there is no greater foundation for you to build your life on than the love of God and living out God's kind of love. I don't kind of goals you're going to set in the coming year, but I'm telling you right now, there is no greater foundation to build your life on, to build your marriage on, to build every relationship on, to build this church on, than the love of God and living out that love in our lives. It is a firm and a perfect salvation. Foundation and salvation. They rhyme, right? <laughs> I, am, I are a communicator, right? And you guys, you guys know Stevie, so you actually know what I say even when I don't know what I'm saying. Amen. All right? And guess who? It's up to who? You. Right? It's up to you. It's not up to me. So the question is, it's up, it's, and you can answer, right? Are you going to pursue this? Are you going to pursue this kind of love in your life? Knowing that with the Spirit's help, you can actually do it and experience things you've never experienced before. Um, pray with me. God, we love you. Holy Spirit, I, I'm glad you're here. Because I, I know that, you know, when I, when I don't say things the way that I want to say, you're my interpreter, and, and I trust you, and I know how much, God, that you love love, and I, God, I know how much you want us to build our lives on this very firm foundation, and God, I just pray that you would be with us, God, that we, as people, that our love will will bear all things, believe all things, hope all things, and endure all things. And that we'll have a love that does not delight in evil, but rejoices in truth. And that we'll truly believe that love never fails, and that we'll choose to build our lives on this foundation. And, and God, for anyone in this room who feels like they're not loved, they're not special, Help them to know that they are loved by the creator of the universe. God, we love you. Holy Spirit, help us to live out whatever truth you want us to live out from this message today. God, we love you. You loved us first. You loved us most. In Jesus' name, amen.